Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gerardo Polly. And this, oh, sorry. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Gerardo Polly. I'm Hubert Hemstra, and this is the Vet Vault. Hello, Vet Vaulters, and welcome back. We've been saving today's guest for a special occasion like a nice bottle of champagne. And my friends, it's time to pop the cork because if this time in our lives isn't a special occasion, then what the hell will be? Dr. Alex Hines is a force of nature. Whether she's on the floor in the emergency hospital, leading their team as a director of the group of clinics, showcasing our profession to the world on the Bondi Vet television show, mentoring the thousands of young vets who look up to her, or taking care of her daughter, you can't help but be inspired by her passion and energy whenever she crosses your path. And as Alex's partner and partner in crimes, I can say that she has a mean left hook, an amazing switch kick, and just has this ability to keep on doing jumping lunges that makes me want to cry. She is my go-to person for advice and my mentor in many areas of my professional career. In our long-awaited episode with Alex, we talk to her about where she finds her motivation. Hubert asks her if she ever has bad days. And Alex gives us a masterclass on connecting with our clients, what they need from us, how to effectively give them what they need, and how to demonstrate value in what you do, and how things are different during the time of COVID-19, and how you and your business can stand out as a shining light in these potentially dark times. I know you'll enjoy this Vet Vault podcast with Dr. Alex Hines. Dr. Alex Hines, finally, we have you on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's taken a while to get and here. And it's but... not from without me nagging her, but it took you to nag her, Hubert, that got her on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really did appreciate the invite. I love listening to you guys. Um, and so I actually feel very honoured to be here today. He, just for our listeners, uh, when, I, when I started planning for, when I heard that you're coming on and I started planning, I remember that, that you and Gerardo were actually my very, very first interview. Do you remember that? I, yes, I do. Yeah, before the podcast was actually a thing, I, I was doing interviews just to do the, the book idea and Gerardo and Alex... Kindly, very nicely submitted themselves to about an hour and a half or up to two hours of cross-examination at my dinner table <laughs> until until almost midnight. Oh, and it was, yeah, it was lots of fun. I recorded that conversation so that I could transcribe it. And there's actually some genuinely good content on there. Uh, the oh. one I'll release it, if the listeners can put up with really shoddy sound, because I recorded it on a little tiny little microphone. But you can hear what you're saying, and it's actually... Actually, a really good conversation. But we finally got Alex on the podcast, and Hubert has been saying, how about we get your better half on the podcast? And I'm like, dude, I thought we were bros, but obviously we are not. You just it, The whole process here is just to get Alex on the podcast because she's a gun at so many things that I wish I was a gun at. So The entire podcast is just a ruse to suck you in so that I can have access to Alex and this. <laughs> and it's only taken how long? It's Two yeah. years or something. How long? It's called the long game. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's for right. a reason. That's right. How are you guys doing over in Brisbane in the whole COVID-19 quarantine situation? Yeah, look, I actually feel very fortunate and very grateful that we really can... Um, you know, that we can even go out and exercise, uh, you know, in a lot of countries around the world that people are so limited to what they can do. I was talking to a friend in the in um, Philippines yesterday and only the person in the household with the quarantine pass can go out every three days. And when I consider that, you know, Dorado and I can go walking down to the beach every morning, mm. um, you know, go to the shops and get what we need, it's, you know, I think we're very lucky. And I heard today that it's the second day in a row that Queensland has recorded zero new cases. So in terms of, I mean, I don't think we can ever get too complacent, but in terms of feeling like we live in the lucky country at the moment, I, you know, I really do. So 100% my, in South Africa, they are complete lockdown as well. So very similar. Yeah. You're not, you're not actually supposed to leave your house. You can go to the shop. 
one person can go to the shops once a day and and that is wow. it no walks no no walks down to the beach or mm. anything it's you're stuck at home mm. so no we are very fortunate but how how we're going in brisbane with podcast uh with podcast with the covid um you know what actually alex has a pretty cool perspective that i don't have i've shared numerous times about the changes that we made in the team and and the changes that we made uh like with siloing and team rosters and things like that and she's come from a totally different perspective, one that I don't think that I could add value as much as value that she could add. But that's around like client, like connection and client experience, which is her like little baby. <laughs> Superpower. Yeah. Superpower. Insight there is incredible. Now, before we get there, because I, I, I definitely want to drill down on that. But, but I want to ask, Alex, when I look at your, your social media and... And every time I've met you as well, you just look so positive and happy and driven. And and I, and I often wonder, does she ever have a bad day? Does Alex ah! ever, does she have a bad day? Or if, if it's not a bad day, down moments, do you have those? And what do they look like? What is a, what is a bad hour or two look like for Dr. Alex Hines? Yeah. So, um, yeah, look, I, you know, I think for me, I, most of my days, I, as I said, even just before that now, I, you know, I live an incredibly blessed life. Um, I get to do the, the work that I love to do and um, I get to share it with the world through social media and through Bondi Vet and um, that's something I've always wanted to do. You know, I've got this guy here, <laughs> my, you know, my beautiful daughter. So, so much, you know, I, I guess I really do uh, start the day with, a lot of gratitude. If I have a bad day, you know, um, there's certain things that I really need in my day to make my day go well. And if you if you follow me, you know that exercise is a big thing for me. If I can't do some exercise in a day, I, I'm not a very nice person to be around. So I need that sort of, um, you know, that bout that I really find it brings a balance to my state of mind. Uh, not only physically, but yeah, in how I sort of cope with the day and how I view things and that sort of thing. So a bad day for me would be a day when I couldn't um, either go out for a run or do some boxing or something like that. So, but yeah, you know, most days are are pretty good. So I'm going to pipe in. Totally downplayed the the journey, right? The journey, like it, like so, she's blessed to be able to share her. Her journey, like her day to day, what she does, and the patient stories and things. But like that was like four, five years of like hard work and eth and and just incredible work ethic there. That like she had a vision in mind, right, and just took action and inspired me to do the stuff that I do as well. And uh, I like, yeah, I'm not going to let you get away with with just going like <laughs> I'm incredibly blessed. Like you know, all of a sudden this wand came out of the sky and whoosh. All of a sudden, you get the opportunity to share this stuff. It's like that was hard-earned work. So this gets me yeah. closer, closer to the point. So let's let's rewind five years mm -hmm. during this journey when you've got your head down, you've got you have a vision, you're working towards something, but but it hasn't happened yet. Mm. Then you get bad days, surely. So how do you? Because some days you wake up and you go, I just can't be. Do you get that ever? Do you feel that? Or did you? Uh, I, I'm really not that kind of person. That isn't the battle that I deal with um, so much. I, I definitely have in the past, I, I've always had a lot of energy and I, I don't think I ever have days when I think I just can't be bothered. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. She gets up. No matter, time, but no, matter what, no matter what time she goes to bed, she gets up at 5 a.m. every morning and it hurts my soul. <laughs> I don't know how she does it. It's this incredible feat of just like, determination and i'm like wait i'll be awake at eight o'clock you know I, I think for for me it's all and, and you know this was a journey over the last five years it's it is all about a belief system you know i i did lack confidence um i was very very shy growing up and um i people often ask me you know what changed and mm. i had a, a very compelling reason to change, I wanted to be able to share my vision, which was to really bring people behind the doors of an, of, of vet hospitals. I was really conscious that um, people 
don't see what goes on. And there's quite often this idea of I drop my pet at the front door and then I just get them returned to me and there's a huge bill and what the hell happened and what, you know, where, why did it cost so much? Um, and so what I wanted to be able to do was take people on a journey inside a veterinary clinic so they could really see the people that it takes to do this kind of work, um, the dedication, the, you know, the, I guess the equipment, the care, you know, we, we all know as, as veterinary professionals how much goes in to running a veterinary hospital. And that's something that pet owners just don't get a chance to see. Mm. So that, that was my vision. That was my compelling kind of mission, if you like. But I knew that there was things that I really needed to overcome along the way to make that happen because I was very shy. Um, and really, if you want to do that, if you want to bring people behind the doors of a hospital, you, you kind of got to get out there in front of the camera or in front of people and actually share that story. Mm. Um, and so I, I just over a period of time really kind of changed my belief system about who I was. And I, I started to you know, I wanted to be the kind of person that got up at 5am every morning. I wanted to be the, the kind of person that uh, really made a difference for others and, and could really share this in front of the camera. And so I believed that I was someone who could get in front of the camera and tell a story, even though, you know, I, my voice was shaking and I wasn't confident. And the, the really interesting thing in that whole confidence, competence loop is the more that you do it, the more that your confidence grows. So the first times that I was doing it, it you know, it was, it was awkward and it was messy. And I, I was, you know, I remember my face used to just go bright red. Um, but then you do it and you think, oh, I've done that. And, you know, what could I do next? And so I think you get that momentum to really start to achieve more and more. And what's the next big thing that mm -hmm. I could achieve? Um, so, so that was, that was kind of really where it's, where it started. And, and when you talk about, you know, do I have a bad day? I, I'm just, I, I think I'm a person, I definitely do get to the end of some days and think that wasn't a great day, but I'm, I'm one of those people who, I, you know, we have a unique opportunity every single day to, to start again. So I go to bed and I get up again in the morning at 5am and I think, wow, this is a new day. And the things that happened yesterday that didn't go so well, because I journal every morning um, and I think about um, what is it that I can do better today? What is it that I've learned from yesterday? So that's, you know, that's how I, I choose, to, choose to live my life. So, yeah. So it starts with the decision. Because it's incredible, you do it really well. Because you you can know all these things, and but actually applying it. I don't know if it's a decision, right? It's people decide. They, people do New Year's resolutions every New Year's, right? Right? They they potentially just don't take action, right? Yeah. So this is what I'm what I'm trying to get at. Because then you you can have these things that you want to do, but it's hard sometimes. You know, not sometimes stuff is hard, and then to have that persistence to say, "No, I am driven to do this, and that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep doing it and keep my head up." Is is it, I don't know. Is it a talent? Is it something you're born with, or is it just just you work at it? Yeah. Look, I, I think um, one of the biggest things to get over is that fear of failure. You know what I mean? When you when you go to look at what needs to be done. Um, and we all as humans start to hesitate, like, well, what if I do this? What if it's the right decision, wrong decision? You know, what if it's the wrong decision? Um, what if people laugh at me? You know, we all, a lot of us have that real fear of what will other people think of us um, and how will people judge us? And if you can let go of that, if you can let go of the fact that if you do this and it doesn't work and it fails, it doesn't matter. You know, it doesn't mean anything. And if you can detach that that meaning or that particularly that meaning about yourself from failure, then mm. all of a sudden there's, there's this incredible freedom that comes with, with being able to do that. Um, one of the biggest um, failures for me, and I, I share this a lot when I'm talking to vet students and, and recent graduates, is that um, I was in the role of veterinary manager at Animal Emergency Service. I had recently very suddenly dropped into this role um, because uh, the manager at that time, my very good friend Caitlin Logan, had taken her life. So it was, it was a very traumatic time for all of us, really. And I suddenly found myself in a job that I never to be expected to be in, that I really didn't have a lot of idea of what I was doing. Um, and um, then that year, the following year, I sat my membership. I sat my emergency and critical care membership. And there was a, a 
just a big expectation. You know, I was managing the hospital. A lot of the other veterinary teams there had their membership and it was sort of like this natural course of action that I would sit uh, my membership um, and I failed. Hmm. I failed it. And I'd, I'd, I'd really, you know, we're such high achievers as veterinarians. I'd never failed anything like that in my yeah. life before. And I remember having a call from my business partner, Rob Webster, and him saying to me, gosh, Alex, you know, would you consider sitting it again next year? And I said to him, Rob, I would not consider it sitting it again next year. You know, I couldn't imagine not getting back up and wanting to do that again. And so I, I did and I sat it the next year and I passed it. But that that um, failure that, that I had that year was such a great, you know, I call it one of the greatest victories that I've ever had in my life because it really um, made me not afraid to fail um, and I've failed many times since then in various things that I've done. Um, but there's always that, you know what, that's just, that's just a blip on the radar. That doesn't, that won't mean anything. Um, you know, what we've got to do is just keep moving forward. So, so I often attribute my ability to take action and make decisions, whether that's in my life personally, whether that's me as an emergency vet making decisions, quick decisions with incomplete information on the floor as a clinician, um, it, it, it's just that I, I have to make a decision now, so let's make a decision and deal with it if it's the wrong decision as opposed to inaction and not making a decision, you know, is, yeah. is the worst thing you can do. So, my, my thoughts there were, like when she was talking about, is that she has, and, and this is clear, and, 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 and she's as much as my mentor as my partner, is that she has a vision for herself in her life. Like, share what goes on behind the doors behind a vet clinic right and how but it's like oh i could do that on a you know a, a you know an instagram post but it's like how how could i make that bigger how could i have a bigger impact but it's it's this thing which i think which slows people down which is this the whole smart goal thing so smart so specific measurable um achievable relevant and timely look i have nothing against smart goals but what I believe is, and what Alex just said there, which actually just kind of just ticked off in my head, was that actually she had like a massive goal or like, like almost too big to comprehend on how big to get there. But she started with a massive goal, which was like M, massive, just huge beyond belief. And A, it was like um, aspiring. It's, it's kind of lifted her up. And S, it was system-based. She was able to break it down and develop a system. How could I share a message? You're going to be better on camera. I could be better at communicating. So the system was just improving those particular areas and it was structured. She was able to break down that goal into smart goals. And I think that's what people need to do. Start with a goal which is so freaking big that it scares the shit out of you and then break it down into smart goals. And, and like Alex takes me along for the ride. I, I, I tell you what, if I'm on a TV show, it's because Alex has <laughs> influenced me to be there and I'm just the, the sidekick and... And I, I don't mind being no. Robin. I don't mind being Robin in this relationship. <laughs> no, not at all. It, it is actually great. I'm, I'm quite a serious person, Hubert. Um, you may or may not realise that, but I am, <laughs> I'm, I am um, you know, at heart really quite a serious person. And, and the great thing about having Dorado is that he kind of like lightens the mood a little bit when I get too serious um, and too ingrained in something because I'm just, I'm just a very intense person, I think, in a good way, I hope. But yeah. That fear of failure thing always fascinates me. Why are we so scared of, of failing? As you say, you're not going to die. And even though I know this, you still limit yourself. That's, I, that's one of my favorite sayings, Hubert. But did you die? Yeah. And, and, and the people out there are like, yeah, but my patient died. <laughs> <laughs> but like, to be honest, like my mentor said to me, and maybe this might shock people, but if if some of your patients don't die, you're not trying. Yeah. But also, when I people say that to me, yeah, but my patient died. The patient most likely died because it was sick, mm. or it had you know had extensive trauma, not because you were the, its veterinarian. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and I think that's where people need to uh, separate their who they are as as professionals there to help as opposed to the disease itself, whether that be you know because mm. I hear it a lot in things like tick paralysis, for example. Uh, you know, he he aspirated and, mm. you know, went, while I was trying to do take x-rays, no, he aspirated because he had tick paralysis mm. and aspiration is a complication of tick paralysis, not because 
you were doing this or, or, you know, so I think that's where it's important. People want to take on the responsibility personally and, you know, that's that's not our role. Mm. Not, not, not downplaying learning from mistakes but also like people catastrophize about the influence that they've had on a particular scenario. Mm. And, and outside of a clinical scenario, I mean, you, so the fear of failure of you saying, okay, I'm going to start doing YouTube videos. Mm. It's petrifying. But why is it so petrifying to do that? If you think back to our roots as as early Homo sapiens, or even before that, when we were mm. when we were still monkeys, you you lived in that tribe and you survived in that tribe, and your survival depended on being accepted in your little group. If you right. kicked out of the tribe, you're dead. Something's going to eat you. You're going to starve to death. So social embarrassment, failing, looking like an idiot was deadly when we were still developing as a species now that's not the case now now we way beyond that but our your monkey mind that old brain of yours that evolutionary mind is still still scared of that still goes well if i'm if i'm alienated from the group if people think i'm an idiot i'm gonna die because it was life and death back then. <laughs> it was okay. life and death. But it's not anymore. And I, I, I find that helps me to think of that. Mm. You go, listen, th- th- this fear that you're having is irrational. It's your, it's your monkey mind. Now mm. use, your, your, use your modern mind and, and tell it to just thank you, but I'm not going to die. Just shut mm. up. And- mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love that, Hubert. And that is exactly right. We So often we have to recognize what is our primeval brain that wants to take over um, and instead recognize it acknowledge it but then use the logical as you said the modern part of our brain to make decisions and and that's how, that's how achievement's going to happen is by pushing through that and I, but I th- let me add one level there monkey mm. brain modern brain high performer brain which is where they coach themselves out of that situation ask the questions as you just said am i going to die from the situation yeah. did this one negative feedback actually does it actually mean that i'm a terrible vet you know, mm. really kind of like ask yourself, like if you were providing advice to someone else in your head, you know, let's say that you, you got to take, like one of the easiest things to do is take yourself out of the situation and then ask yourself questions from like, what would you ask your friend who was in the down the dumps? Then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I actually, you know, no, I, 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 I think that that was a reasonable you know, course of action. I think that actually that was a, um, you know, it's very unlikely. And you know what? It's one out of 300 cases you've seen that gave you a negative complaint. You're not a shit vet. Mm. Like, don't catastrophize. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we're complicated little monkeys, aren't we? <laughs> yeah. Yes. And you know, at the moment, it's interesting with coronavirus at the moment, you see human behavior become even more kind of, Um, you know, when we think about the toilet paper incident, I think that's really interesting um, in the way that people react. I mean, there's, there's some really basic psychological needs there. People need to feel um, secure. You know, they, they need to, um, you know, they go and buy all this toilet paper and they, they feel like that's going to give them some sort of security or certainty. Um, And then they, you know, they look around, what's everyone else doing? And if you're in the jungle and you, and someone jumps right because there's a snake that you jump right as well. Right. Because that's what we do. We look around at what everyone else is doing. Mm. Um, And we're also looking for, and and I see this with, I see the same behavior with clients as well. You know, we think about our our clients are um, coming through, they're feeling very stressed. They're looking for that kind of, that, that certain, that security. They're looking for that, you know, they want to be able to relate to us. And also they're looking particularly for that we are, we are competent, that we can do the job. Um, And and those kind of emotions are more heightened than ever in them at the moment. Um, And it's challenging. It's challenging because we're doing a lot of uh, consultations over the phone at the moment um, and so those normal ways where we would really start to develop those relationships and develop trust, they, they just don't exist at the moment because we don't have that physical contact with owners. So we've got to kind of balance that really between how people are behaving um, and, you know, what their needs are. Yeah. So to, to backtrack there, I think you said mm. you said very, very important stuff there, but I, I want to highlight it. So tell us again what, no, so take COVID out of this. What, what mm. do our clients want from us when they come to the vets? 
Mm. So I, I think if we go back to basics, more than anything, people want connection. They they want it. They want to know that they can trust you. Um, they and and really that develops through uh, human connection. You know, fifty to eighty percent of their decisions are made on human connection. Not you know. So before we talk about price, before we talk about um, gold standard or anything like that, we have to connect with people so that they um, they will develop that trust and they will put the trust of one of their most precious things in the world, which is their pet, in our hands and believe in the value of what we're doing. Um, and believe importantly that they're part of that conversation about what the treatment is going to be or what the treatment plan is mm-hmm. and um, they, they need to feel that control and it's very easy particularly for, for veterinarians to feel like we need to be in control we need to tell them what to do um, and I really believe the approach is we need to it, there's, there's three people in this relationship there's the owner there's the veterinarian and there's the pet so it's quite unique it's different from a human um patient relationship and so we have to form a partnership with this client to make the best decision for their pet and um you know part of that is identifying what is you know what's their biggest fears uh and 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 really the way we do that is to is to listen to them is to listen to what are their concerns because so often we we, we assume that their big concern is money you know Mm. what's it going to cost yeah totally but for some people it's not about that it's it's um it's, it's like they're going to be separated from their pet. You know, that you're going to say that Fluffy needs to come into hospital um, for the night. And for some people, that's a really frightening thought. They've not been away from their dog. Um, and so if you can identify that early in the conversation and address that fear either by saying, look, you know, if we can have her here for the next couple of hours, figure out what's wrong, we'll try and get her home to you tonight. But that's a decision that we'll make together once we find out what's going on. It's almost like a question like, you know, what is your biggest concern with her staying the night? And it's like Fluffy's never been outside the house in 16 years. Like my husband has like a mental disorder or something and really needs my son or child. I've had those conversations before. Mm -hmm. But having them feel like as if they've been listened to is like incredible. Like ask question, open in the question, find out what their thoughts were, what their concerns were, get them to feel like as if they've, being heard uh, is, is is one of the, the, the key things I think. Yeah, I, I, in the in the, the last couple of years, I there's something I started doing that I find works really well because sometimes you you sense that something's off. You're in mm. a consult and, and you're you trying to work it out. It's yeah. not gelling, and I'm like, why wow, this, this guy's an idiot? Uh, and I I've just started asking. I'll stop the conversation and say you you seem unhappy about something. Yes. Yeah. What What's bothering you? Yeah. Yeah. And then totally. boom, and then they come in. That That's gold. And then, then they get it off their shoulders. They go, I mean, I feel like you're bullshitting me. Fine. Then let's talk about that. But at yeah. least just get it off your chest because otherwise they don't say it. And then that's the recipe for disaster. Yeah. Have, mm-hmm. have you got any other tips or things you say or that you do, Alex, to, to help you form that connection and trust? Or oh, Gerardo? <laughs> I got one. Okay. Just going to pop this in there. For everyone who is out there like, oh, that's common. That's common news and that's common knowledge and I do that shit all the time. Just wait. How about you put a phone in the corner of the consult room and record yourself in the consult? Yeah. That's my challenge to you. Okay, if you're listening to this now and you think you got this stuff all sorted, hmm. record your consultations and then time how long it takes for you to cut the owner off. Time, like time, like time, how long it takes for you to go from open ended question to closed ended questions, where closed ended questions is about you controlling the, the conversation and trying to diagnose stuff before you've even done any diagnostic tests. The other thing about closed ended questions is if you start your consultation with questions like, is he vomiting um, or did he eat dinner last night? You're asking for a yes, no answer. And so the client will assume that you're looking for those short answers. And if you want to know something, mm. then you'll ask for it. And so instead of, you know, starting with those open-ended questions, like um, tell me a little bit about why you're here with Fluffy today um, or, you know, those, those things that just allow them to talk and do allow them to talk. I think sometimes we have a fear, oh, my God, we're going to be stuck in here for half an hour listening about Fluffy's like, you know, 
morning habits <laughs> and um, and research has showed that really it doesn't take much very much longer for the client to give you this information and if they start talking about diet or something like that and you think oh and I, I want to ask questions about diet just zip it just mm. hold it write it mm. down um, and then what you then want to do is once they've finished their their spiel then you want to go back and say, look, a little bit earlier you talked about his um, diet. I just want to go back to that because you said that you give him chicken and, and rice every Tuesday. And that serves two purposes. Number one, it helps you to drill down into the information that you're looking for, which is mm. really important. But the second thing, it really shows that client that you were listening. You were mm. listening when, when mm. um, she, told, she gave you the rundown on what mm. the, the weekly diet is. And so those um, kind of things to do um, are really, really valuable. But there's one thing that I think is really important and it's maybe not so relevant at the moment because clients are outside the hospital, but I really think there's a physical element in the consultation room that makes a huge difference in how you connect. There's a there's a real temptation, and Hubert, I can talk about this for hours because this is so much my passion, but um, this will be my last tip for now anyway. No, we've got hours, go for it. <laughs> um, is that as vets, we, we kind of, we want to get stuck into the physically, you know, we think, oh, I can multitask. I can take a history and do a mm. physical exam and, you know, and it's all over and done within five minutes. But what you don't realize is that, that clients really need to see the value in what you're doing. And there's value in you sitting down and listening to them. And I, I never use a computer because I think um, there's this kind of, I don't know exactly what it is, but it's a human thing where if you're typing on a phone or you're typing on a computer, it says to people, you're not listening. Yeah. You're not paying attention. You're yeah. distracted. Whether or not you're writing notes, yeah. most of the time your back's turned and there's something about devices that says I, you're not important and I'm not listening. Whereas if you have a clipboard and a piece of paper and a pen, which I will always have, and I'm always sitting down, never, ever standing, always sitting down on their level because it shows I've got time. I've got time. We've got all the time in the world here for you to tell me about what's happening. You're on an eye level, um, but I'll write things down as they're talking because it makes them feel like, oh, this is important what I'm sharing here. Mm. She wants to listen, um, and so I'll write, you know, write those things down. So I think that physicality um, of and just spending that time taking history, don't be looking. You can still do your distant exam, absolutely, to, of the pet, but don't be... Um, writing and examine or examining and, and taking history because then when it comes to the physical exam you want to put a hundred percent into your physical exam and you want to show the client exactly what you're doing and talk to them about what you're doing first of all i'm going to um i'm going to get some vital signs i know fluffy's here for his sore leg mm. but i really want to see that he's not running a fever i want to have a listen to his heart you know, and then I'm listening to his heart. I'm listening, and you, and you talk through all of that. Everything that you're doing, that's where you demonstrate value to that client. Um, and I'm just checking his other leg now to see if he's got any pain in the other leg. Then I'm coming back to that. So that whole physical exam, there's a whole process you can go through with that in order to um, really make them feel like they've they've got the value out of the history taking, out of the physical physical exam and that you are listening to them. So those are those are some of the things that I find very, very valuable. Uh, and particularly, you know, I'm an emergency vet. 90% of the clients that I, I see have never, ever come into our hospital before. Mm. There's no trust. There's no longstanding relationship. Mm. Um, we usually ask them to spend a lot of money um, in a very short amount of time because it, every patient is sick, mm. sometimes very sick, critical. Yeah. And so those sort of things is what I've learned over the last 21 years of being a vet um, are some of the, you know, the most valuable tools I have aside from my surgical skills, aside from my diagnostic skills, my skills in the consult room I consider to be the most valuable ones that I have. Mm. Oh, oh, my God, the most valuable ones in the whole of animal emergency service and how many vets we have, 70 vets. So yeah. I wish I was as good as her. Yeah. <laughs> when I went before, when I went before, when we, when we paused, I went like this. Yeah. That's one of my secrets. Like it, it's touch, you know, oh, like touch, an, yeah. an appropriate touch. And I am the king of appropriate touch. That sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like better, to, it's better than being the king of inappropriate touch. Inappropriate touch. <laughs> okay. I don't condone any of that stuff. But, but like it, it was, it's listening, connecting, and just and. And like it, like a one second hand on, on the shoulder yeah, is is just something that adds incredible value. But now because we are doing phone consults, 
we have to amplify mm. amplify our phone consultation skills to the next level. Like mm. it is so valuable mm. and so yeah. important. We can't just sit there going, yep, 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 yep. So, so with the current situation, has has the requirements that the clients want from us changed at all? Are there are extra things you have to keep in mind, do you think? Um, yeah, I, I do. Mm. I think it's interesting because if you speak to a lot of veterinarians and uh, who were, are working in uh, surgeries where clients are not in the building, which is, I, I believe, it's, it's the majority of us, mm. um, they'll say to you that clients are very understanding, very mm. understanding of the of the situation. And I think there's two aspects to that. Number one, yes, they are understanding, um, but num- and what the first thing is that that may not last forever. That mm. you know, people we're seeing that in the United States now, um, where people are just saying, "Hey, you know what? I'm not actually going to put up with this. I I want to be with my dog mm. while you do this examination." So, as people move through this crisis, like with any kind of um, traumatic incident, people change can very much change in their emotions and how understanding they are and what they believe is is the right thing to do. Um, the second part to that is that, yeah, people's needs, you know, emotional stresses are much higher. People are going to remember this time in history forever. Mm. And if you have a, if they have a really terrible experience with you at your vet clinic, they will remember that forever. Um, and you really want to be the the clinic that they say, Hey, Jerry, I remember when I had to take my cat to, uh, an emergency hospital to any vet hospital during coronavirus and wow they were just incredible i felt so supported and so um cared for and they looked after fluffy so well that um you know that they want to go and tell 20 of their friends what an amazing experience it was um and i i've said that too because obviously there is some some degree of apprehension amongst the team or what if we have a pet from a corona positive Mm. household what Mm. do we do then and there's this kind of like fear of like oh wow what if it could transmit you know we could get fomite transmission um you know what do we tell the owner stay in your car don't come down get someone else and the challenge that i've really put to the team is what if those those clients from corona positive households could feel more supported and more cared for than any other client that came through the door that day. You know, that's the challenge we yeah. have. How do we make sure that we look after everybody? Because holy hell, they must be so stressed, stressed about their health, stressed mm. about passing the disease on to their family, um, you know, stressed about about not working. You know, there would be so much stress. And how can we be the the who they need in their time of need. That's, you know, that's the challenge. We And that will look different for different people. But if we keep that in the forefront of our minds, then I don't think we can go wrong. I was going to ask, how do you achieve that? Being that clinic that is going to be mm. remembered as the, as the fantastic clinic. But I th- so what you're saying there is there's no recipe for it. Uh, like there's no, there's no set plan. Is it take every situation as it comes or do you have a, do you have a strategy that you're applying at your business to be yeah. that memorable clinic who, despite the limitations, are still delivering that exceptional service? Yeah, I think I think um, what we got to do is put aside our pro- uh, the protocols are very important, and we want to have them down packed so that if something happens, everybody in the building knows what to do, whether that's the PPE gear or how we decontaminate the pet or what whatever that is. That stuff should just be happening in the in the background. Um, from a client's perspective, they should just know very clearly what they need to do and what they sh- shouldn't do. But more importantly than anything, they should feel like we really care, like there's um, that we will always see their pet, that they are, you know, very much important to us. And I think we do a lot of that through the language that we use. You know, if we're talking to someone, just saying to them things like, um, you know the fact that we are all in this together you know this this disease doesn't um you know we don't get to choose who becomes infected with it 
And so this is, this is a humanitarian crisis that we're all going through together. And so really having that sense of community, we're, we're all in this together, but also just explaining things to them and, and making, because what, we, what happens when we get stressed, there's a tendency that we want to talk, right? We want to take control of the situation. And we want to say, you need to come down and you need to do this and stay in your car and call me. And um, whereas really what we need to do is to ask them how they are, how, how are you going? Um, how can I help you? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to say some things um, while I go through what's happening with your cat. And if there's anything that you don't understand, I want you to stop me um, and feel that you can uh, stop me in the conversation and I'll explain it. You know, those sort of things are really important. So I think there's a lot in language that we can use, a lot in our tone, um, a lot of in the reassurance and a lot in, in including them in the conversation and the, the plan about how we're going to how we're going to manage this. I, the other thing I think, Hubert, is that that I always think about how could we go above and beyond in this situation, in this extraordinary situation. And I see companies around the world doing it, um, doing things that they've never offered before because they recognise an opportunity um, for contribution to a to to a bigger cause for particularly and so whether that's for some clinics being more flexible um on your payments strategies uh, you know looking at other um options for payment for people because sure we say you know we we these are the finance options and this we don't go outside of these lines and things like that but could we could we for this particular time in history i mean veterinarians we're very fortunate that we are essential services we are we get to keep operating um is there some degree of uh you know structure that we could set up or is there some free service we could offer them could we do teletriage or something like that where we have an opportunity to help them um you know so they can decide whether or not they do need to come down for a consultation those those are i guess the sort of thing and when i say teletriage i'm talking about talking to a to a veterinarian or something like that so I, I think there's so much opportunity there and what I would hate to do would be to get to the end of this pandemic and look back and think, gosh, there were things there that we could have done mm. to help people with pets out there and we didn't take that opportunity because we were scared or we were worried about, yeah. you know, the, I mean, obviously we need to look after our businesses because we employ a lot of people and our employees absolutely need to Come first. If we look after our employees, they will look after the clients. But um, you know, don't be scared to think about things that you've never done before that you could do now. So, I love chatting to you. I think that's that's super super valuable. I can't believe we haven't had you on yet. You guys think that it's common knowledge, and I think because you come from a practice where it is talked about and and implemented, you presume that this stuff is is common. It's not. It's not really. In in real life, some people know it and some people learn it, but they don't. We don't talk about it and we don't share it uh, well, as much as it should be shared. Some, it, it's put into practice. It's like taking put action. Put into practice. Exactly. Mm. Common knowledge is is not necessarily common practice. How many like common knowledge that eating junk food makes you fat? But then, how many of us avoid junk food? Not very many of us, right? So, you know, common knowledge is that you exercise more. And eat less junk food and it makes you healthier. Mm. You know, how many of us are like, don't take action and implement common knowledge? Yeah. So, you know, like there's common knowledge everywhere, but until someone actually does it, that yeah. action, Hubert, is what makes it big. That's the key, man. All right. So, building relationships and caring. It reminds me, I read a, a quote, apparently it's from a very famous human medicine lecturer. I want to mangle the quote, but it comes down to something about the the best way to care for your patients is to care about your patients. Uh, yeah. it's, and it is just all the stuff you say. Oh, I love it. It's something like that. I think I've messed it up, but it's what I it comes it down to. It makes perfect sense. It's awesome. I love it. It is just because all the stuff you're talking about, it's it starts in your attitude. It starts in an empathetic attitude to, to instead of going, well, there's this crisis and it's, just, it's COVID and the cat's sick. It's, that's exactly what you're saying. But you just need to decide, hey, listen, I'm here to, to care. Yeah. Um, so yeah. let me care. And if you care, then it's going to look like you care. Guess what? And you're going to yeah. give a connection with the client because they're going to recognize that you care. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I think empathy is one of those things where 
we we hear it all the time you know we need to be empathetic but really we need to on the daily be reflecting you know am i really being empathetic when i go back out the back of the vet surgery and start swearing about this client who just um refused this treatment for this dog um do we are we really trying to understand why what might be going on below the surface about why they may not have been able to choose that that option it was it um a lack of trust was it a lack of you know we don't know what's going on in the background maybe they uh don't have the finances or maybe mm -hmm. you know they have other family needs that they're going through and um there's so much that we don't know about what's going on with people and i think empathy is if if you really can live empathy and at the moment it you know even goes beyond empathy i think at the moment for a lot of people who are in really severe financial straits lost lost of jobs um you know they're really in a, in a bad way and I, th I really think compassion is what we need to be really trying to show to a, a lot of people out there who are who are really really struggling because it's we think we understand what it feels like to be uh, in this position but if you're if you have a if you're a veterinarian and you have a job then then you're a, a ahead of a lot of people in life so ten percent of Australians or something like that right yeah. Yeah. so can we talk about phones phones and zoom and connecting to people over the phones you mentioned it earlier gerardo i mm. i'm i'm a big fan of face-to-face -face. i'm not a big fan of phone calls uh, ever since i can remember mm. i don't know why i've got to think about about phone calls i struggle to connect so so how can i do it better mm. alex and i have had this discussion because we feed off each other in terms of our you know what works what doesn't work in the consult room and how can we connect better and we both talk about um, consultation skills and consultation styles and things like that um, and we have different styles and kind of we like we learn off each other and our and and my feeling is that th there is no difference like because we were going to go down the whole pathway of having video consultations right mm. but then for both of us we're like we feel like as if we can still connect with clients over the phone provided that we are engaged we listen, we are present and we are like, there's energy and there's certainty in our voice. Mm. Like you can have, you can be completely uncertain about what's going on with your pet, but I am completely certain we need to do something about it. You know, your pet is sick and I don't know what's causing it, but the first step is a blood test. Sometimes it's like, I don't even know what the first step is. You know, what would be the age clinical segment? You know, it's an x-ray ultrasound blood test, whatever it may be blood test. Respiratory disease, x-ray, abdominal pain, old dog, ultrasound. You know, like, like I just keep the decision-making process simple, but I'm certain that we need to do something. And they need to hear that on the phone. Yeah, the relief that they hear when, when, they, when you demonstrate that certainty, absolutely. Going back to your uh, question there about phone calls versus face-to-face, -face, we, at the start, as Gerardo said, we were, our plan was to do video calls, like either a Zoom call or a Skype call or WhatsApp. What we found was that in people in an emergency situation, they don't want to download an app on their phone. They're just like, get someone on the phone and talk to me about what's happening. That's the most mm. familiar uh, uh, kind of medium that they know to talk to someone. So we quickly, like literally within a day, we were like, okay, that's not going to work. Um, once patients were in hospital, absolutely, we could set up a, a video call for them to have a, like a virtual visit with their pet. That was fine. But in that initial consultation where they brought their pet to the front door, um, it's been taken and triaged and they're waiting out in the car park. They just want someone on the phone to talk to them. Mm. Um, and being able to, you know, I'm really a believer in um, making sure that when you get on that phone, you know exactly who you're going to be talking to. Is it Luke or is it Sharon or is it Lisa? What's the name of their dog? Is it Mal? Having those details like just, down packed don't don't get on that phone until you know every, you know what how old the dog is what the dog's name is whether it's male or female because you you have these minute opportunities to build that trust on that phone call and if you get the sex of the dog wrong if you get the owner's name wrong you erode that trust like mm. like that and you can't afford to do that on the phone you you almost have to like bring your a game to a plus game Right, we, we talked about it before when you go into a consult, you prep, you have all the stuff you need, you need pen, name badge, stethoscope, 
you know, client's name, pet's name, sex, and so forth, and a little bit of the history and so forth, and you breathe and you go into the door and you're like, <gasps> you know, my name's Gerardo, whatever it may be, you have your ritual. It's like you've got to bring that ritual to the phone call and you've got to bring that, you get to think of everything else. What can they hear in the background? Is there a barking dog in the background? Mm. I need to go to a different room. Don't Tonight, be don't be distracted. You know, we often on phone calls and we're trying to multitask and do other things. Just because you're on yeah. a phone call, don't think you can do that. They can yeah. help you. They'll yeah, be you're right. Because it's it's tempting because they're not they can't see you. You think, well, oh, I could I could sit and type some notes on the side, or yeah. but you're right. Don't, that. don't well, do that. But, don't but, do but that. even if you say type your notes, right? Okay, I say, look, I'm just going to type some notes as as you're talking. So if you hear any pauses, it's because I'm typing notes because I want to make sure that I capture everything you say. Hmm. You know, like great, great give advice. yourself permission, but highlight them, and it's like, oh, okay. So if it's silence, the veterinarian is typing down my notes because what I said was important. That's great advice. Yeah, excellent. You know, and then recap. Okay, so what you said was this. Replay it. They've they they heard they they now know that what you typed down was actually what they were talking about. They were they were listened. They then had the opportunity to go. Oh, you know what? I forgot. I fed him bones yesterday. Hmm. Great. You know, replay it to them and give them the opportunity. Did I miss something out there? Was there anything else you wanted to add? Yeah, you know. Have you got a Have you got a phone voice? Oh, have you either of you got a got a got a phone voice? Give me do me your phone voice, Jeremy. I, my <laughs> phone voice. Okay, so I, I was trained by the great Anthony Lay, right? And my phone voice is varied. I talk with different tones, and it's melodic, and I talk at different paces because what happens is when people hear me on the phone, then it's interesting, and I use signposting. Okay, this is really important, and like. If you don't understand this, let me know because I want to make sure that we're on the same page here. And I'll talk slow. Da, 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 da. You know, like, the, the, like you make your voice interesting, yeah. you know. So I, that's what I believe. What about you, Alex? I, well, I, I'm going to give you a different sort of tip here, okay. which is um, when you go to ask something Gerardo said, if you've got any other questions, there's a very interesting study that's been done on the way that on language, I'm quite a fascinated by behavioural science and language and linguistics. But if you if you phrase that last question when you're trying to get those last bits of information out, and you say instead of saying "Is there anything else you want to ask me?" if you say "Is there something else?" Mm. the difference between some and any is huge. Mm. If you say if you say "Is there something else?" quite often they'll think, "Oh, there is something else," and you'll get something else. Mm. If you say "Is there anything else?" people are quite often like. Oh, there's nothing really anything else. The guru of play right here. That's so, fascinating. I'm trying to think because you're right. There's almost, right. A, it's almost right. the, there's almost the default answer. Anything, the word, is anything wrong? Do you want anything else to eat? The default answer is almost always no without, without thinking about it. So let's, let, so let's try this. Do you want anything to eat? No. Do you like something to eat? Well, it's almost yeah, like, maybe, yeah. what I else would you great. like? I love that. That's fantastic. It's almost like, what else would you like to eat? So in, as a default, you put what in front of any question and it's an open-ended question. That's great. I like that. I like that a lot. The the, the tone of voice thing is, um, I love that as well. I think I've mentioned this before. I've certainly mentioned it to, to you, Gerardo. There's a, there's a chapter in one of Malcolm Gladwell's books where he references research that was done in, in human medicine. On tone of voice so this is the, the book is that's from the book blink which is about subconscious your subconscious mind and how a subconscious makes decisions in the background without us thinking the long and the short of it is it's actually a, a different study that they used the data for it was recordings of human doctors in consultations and they looked at doctors who had um, litigation against them so they're sued for something versus ones who never had any and the first research was about what did they say? Uh, was there anything in the way that the, the stuff that they said that made them more or less likely to, to be sued? And then um, a subsequent study, somebody took those recordings and they garbled the words, took the words out and just kept tone of voice. And they sliced it into, I think it was four second clips or something like that. They could play those clips to the study subjects. So students or random people and say can you yeah. guess can you guess who's going to be sued and who's not wow and they were so accurate at saying wow. by tone of voice at a four second clip of your tone of voice subconsciously yeah. somebody's decided 
you're an asshole. If you stuff up, I'm going to sue you. Yeah, wow. Versus, I, I like this person. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and I'll never sue you because I trust you. And, it's, yeah. and it starts with just that tone of voice. So when you pick up that phone, you yeah. better make very sure because now you can't use your winning smile or your, no, or your nice or a nice handshake to win them over. Your tone of voice is going to be everything important. Yeah. You, you got me started on Mal- Malcolm Gladwell's book. So I'll oh, have to read that one. That sounds like good quarantine reading. One thing that I think actually does add value is despite the fact you may be on the phone, nothing stopped you from going to the front door and waving through the front door. Yeah. You know, like, hey, like I'm just waving through the front door. I just want to let you know that I'm going to take care of Fluffy now and that, you know, like this is who you're talking to, hey? It's like, oh, 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 oh there's a person there and then they got a picture to the to the voice. You know, there's a connection there. They kind of like, you know, like, it, it's you, you may not be able to shake their hand or put your hand on their shoulder or like for one second appropriate touch right and um but like there is something they see that there is a person on the other side of that phone call and you know if you look like you're a doctor with a stethoscope on and a name badge and you kind of fit the bill it's like cred yeah you know, i got a picture you know it's not just this voice i have no idea what alex sounds like you know i have no idea what dry sounds like but here we are now. That's that dude there, and he's going to take him my pet. Yeah, great. Mm, that's really good. I think we gave away, gave away all our secrets, Hubert. <laughs> you give it away all the time, man. Yeah. <laughs> all you have to do is Google. No, that's one thing you guys are great at is, is sharing the the stuff that you are good at. Um, it's, it's always always amazing to watch it. Um, Alex, are there are there any good things that are going to come out of this that we're going to have? left over when COVID blows over what's what's going to stay behind that's going to let's talk about our profession um we, we can talk about philosophically about the whole human race but let's talk about the veterinary profession mm, I, I definitely think so i think there's I, I think life will never quite go back to the way it was and i think there's things like telemedicine for for a start is is going to be here to stay uh where people are able to do consultations virtually that's, I think that's something that's coming and, and there's some that don't agree that that's the right thing or the wrong thing, but it's, yeah, for sure. But it's 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 coming, you know, so we either decide how we make it work in our mm-hmm. profession or we let the tidal wave come and we get, you know, swept behind. But I, I really believe that's coming. So how can we do that um, in, and incorporate that in into our profession while still pre- uh, preserving the importance of the physical exam, which to me is, you know, the most important part of any consultation. Um, and, you know, how, how, how can we make sure that we don't miss things because we're not able to have that conversation with a pet like a, a doctor would have with their patient? You know, we, we can't do that. So we can't ask them where it hurts and th- those sort of things that we find out from our physical exams. So is it that telemedicine should be limited to those things that don't require a physical exam like behaviour? Um, or things that we can see, like like skin, for example. You know, th- these are the questions. But I think that would be one thing that I think will change. Um, I think the you know t- we need to meet clients where they're where they are. So in terms of things that they can do from home, um, and and whether that's to do with technology, the way they pay, the way they do their client info forms, the way they talk to us with with updates or video calls those sort of technology things which as a profession we kind of are a little bit probably behind um i think we're going to probably catch up with those a lot quicker and and probably bring things into our practices where we would have previously kind of hummed and hard about it for a while before we actually implemented them so those would be the main things where i think it will it will impact um i don't know what do you think oh you put me in the spot oh thank you um you know what i I just think that as a profession, we need to level up. Okay, phone consults aren't easy, right? We take advantage of being in the consult room. We take advantage of being able to see and hear. Just imagine six months' time we look back in the consult room with 12 months' time of the clients back in the consult room. You have next level, like, I don't know, ESP. What's ESP? What's the, what's the you know, like next level skills in, 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 in just understanding and hearing the subtleties right you either get it and you're successful in this time or you're not 
And if you're not, you'll soon pick it up because you'll know you're not successful. And like you come out at the end of the, I, I'm super excited about coming out at the end of COVID and seeing what kind of things that the veterinary profession innovates, develops, puts together. Mm-hmm. Because like, I don't know, like I, I, I keep on training for the future. I keep on investing into the future. I keep on trying to build a team for the future. And yeah, it, it's exciting. Sadly, sadly, it's exciting. I think it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think the the other question, Hubert, is how do we reverse out of the situation we're in now? You know, how do we, how do we, we we're in a client free, for better want of a better word, a client free practices. How do we make that decision? At what point do we allow the the clients to come back? You know, if they can go to a restaurant or a bar or the gym, mm. trying to keeping them out of veterinary practices, can yeah. we? Yeah. How do we, you know, how do we make that decision? Because once they're back in, and once the the our staff are used to that. How do we make sure that our staff are still protected? How do we make sure the client's still protected? Um, you know, those sort of things. But and how do we do that gradually so that everybody feels comfortable with clients coming back into the building and that the timing is right, you know, mm-hmm. that, the, that we don't do it too early, or we don't do it too late. Um, so yeah, that's it's a great. Thing. It's a great question. Have you got the answers? <laughs> because that's what no, I'm, that's what I'm, I'm sitting with. Because I'm looking at the the numbers in Australia going well. Mm. Zero, we zero cases in Queensland for the last yeah, two days. That's so, where we're us as well. So we so yeah. I'm going well. Do, can we let them back in the building? I, I, I mean, my, my, I, I get a, I get a perspective here only because I've kind of championed the way and rolling out team based systems and siloing of hospitals and and. Had to, had to kind of share and share the vision with the team and get them all on board. And from a, a like a hospital director role of two hospitals, it's it's kind of like I'm not going to make that decision until I am certain that we don't have to reverse that 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 decision. And that's going to be guided by um, government. It's going to be guided by uh, like like let's say the government reduces uh, restrictions. I, I'm not going to make the call for at least maybe two weeks after, three weeks after, and see what kind of impact. Are they going to, if the government reverses the decision, then I know then that the government hasn't in that time frame. then I'm like, okay, now we should start to look at how we're going to roll it out. But I'm going to leave it to the team. It's like, hey, these are options. What do you guys want to do? You know, I don't want to champion the way backwards and then the people support what they create. If, yeah. if the team supported rolling back, having clients in the hospital, and then then for some reason we needed to then reverse that decision right that's not my call you yeah. know what i mean yeah you know i will i will i will help them either way but yeah <sighs> this is great <laughs> i could chat forever but we should probably start winding up i'd imagine uh yes should we do that should we do the normal questions just because it's do it alex. mate you just do it that's all for some for some reason because it's alex i thought she could maybe get away without it but you you mentioned uh, your isolation reading earlier uh what do you well i always ask about podcasts because this is a podcast what are you what are you listening to at the moment mm. so i i love a uh, number of podcasts but I, there's lewis howes i love what's um, that the it's, it's school, school of, Great- of greatness so it's a podcast called school of greatness um and it's really all about what does it take to make what makes great people great really and mm. i think lewis's uh journey himself um, is really quite inspirational and how he went from, you know, being a footballer. To couch, to LinkedIn guru, to mm. podcasting, like guru, guru, more guru than you, Hubert. <laughs> That's not possible. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> so, for, yeah, so from that point of view, um, yeah, so that would be that would be my podcast of choice at the moment because I – I'm always looking, and, and you know, all different sorts of people. Not, and and it takes a, you know, there's so many people around the world who are who do have greatness. What you know, what is their journey? How have they got there? And I, you know, I find that really inspiring. So, awesome. Okay, and and reading. What's next to your What's next to your bed? Or when do you read? Do you read in the mornings mm. or in the evenings? Or what? What are your reading habits? Yeah. Um, if, if I'm tra- sometimes if I'm traveling, I'll read. You know, I read a lot of reading on pl- planes and stuff. Not that we're, anyone's going anywhere right now, but um, but uh, it's always next, next to my bed is usually where the book is. Yeah. Um, at the moment, I'm reading the um, uh, Elon Musk's biography. 
Um, I really love reading autobiographies and again, seeing what makes great people great. Yeah. What were the challenges they faced in their life? Um, and you know how they've got to where they are. So, so autobiographies are a big, probably yeah, one of my favourite things to to really indulge in. Is that an autobiography or did somebody write? No, it's a it's a it's a biography. It's written by um, someone else. Someone else. Someone else. <laughs> the other one I'm reading at the moment, which is like next level. If you if you um, haven't read it, is David Goggins biography. Oh, oh. no. Just um, what's it? you pain pain more pain and pooing pain can't um can't hurt me it's called can't hurt me hubert you gotta read it i'm gonna be an an ignoramus and say who's david goggins yeah david goggins is one of the world he's a navy ex-navy seal Mm -hmm. um and he's just got an incredible backstory of how he grew up but also he just did some incredible feats of endurance but he really talks about what are the limits he has a, a a 40% rule, which basically when your mind is ready to give up because of physical pain, you're actually only at 40% of what you are capable of. And so if you can learn how to recognize that and move the threshold of pain and discomfort, physical pain and discomfort, then you, you there's this incredible things that you can achieve. So he's run like, you know, desert ultra marathons and yeah, it was just, it's like, you know, you can see the kind that of book I love. awesome. Yeah, that sounds like a great read. I'm going to definitely have to have to look for that. Okay, cool. And then our last question. I, I didn't prep you on this. I'm sorry if I'm putting you on the spot with this, Alex. But you talk to, to, to young vets all the time anyway. So you're in, a, you're in a lecture theater and you've got the entire world's veterinary new grads in front of you. And you've got a minute or two to give them just one message. What's your one message that they have to hear from Dr. Alex Hines? Yeah, sure. I think it would be that um, they look at someone like me and think that they could never get to where I am now. You know, I'll never be someone like Alex Hines. And what I want to say to them is I sat where you were. Um, I went through the struggles that you will go through as a new graduate, um, both, you know, in my profession, in my personal life and, um, you, you know, you just one of my favorite sayings is it's very hard to to beat a person who never gives up if you don't give up and you have that belief system in yourself and you're not afraid to fail um and you do wake every up every day but you know believing that it's a new day and there's new opportunities to try again then you can't help but succeed as expected very see what I live with dude see what i live with <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I feel so humbled right now. <laughs> Alex, thank you. Thank you so much for joining You're us. Uh, it's been well worth the wait and we'll <laughs> definitely get you back on again. And remember, listeners, if you loved this, and I'm sure you did, there's so much wisdom here. I could talk to these guys for hours and hours and hours, but luckily you can listen to them for hours and hours and hours because they have their brand new educational platform that uh, you've seen on social media, the Vet Success Academy. Uh, I do. Thanks, man. uh, I think it's an incredible thing. There's going to be so much value in that. Um, And I think everybody's very excited. I know I sure am. All right. We've got some exciting things coming up for everybody. And we look forward to seeing you next time. See ya. See you, mate.